Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph's message is entitled, Listen Your Way to True Love. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. But as we get started, I, I want you to do something for me. I'd like everybody to stand, if you would. And this gives you a chance to get to know some people around you. I, I, I want you to turn to the people around you and make little circles of no more than four people, no fewer than three. Now, wait a minute. Don't start talking. But here's the question. Who is the person who was dialed into you the most in other words, they didn't just hear the words you said, they heard your heart. They, earned, they understood you. They listened to you. They listened well. And they understood you. They understood what you were saying, what you were feeling, what you were all about. During those agonizing, terrifying, zit-covered, opposite-sex-discovering, popularity-freaking-out-over years called high school. You know, uh, some of the most painful time in our life is when we had to go to high school and all this change is going on inside of us and we feel insignificant and everybody else is popular and all of that is going on in your life. And, and who was it that you could talk to? Who was it that when you talked, they listened, they really heard you? When I was in high school, the person that I could probably talk to the best was my youth pastor at church. I, I think that one of the the reasons that we have youth ministry in the church and you have a youth pastor is to have an extra parent in the family, you know. Uh, you, you hit that weird stage and you don't open up to your parents. They don't know what's going on. And, and, they, and, and to have another adult there who sort of looks like a kid works, you know, and it uh, worked for me anyway. And after that was my mother, but uh, for the sure was things I wasn't telling her. Well, let's get into uh, Ephesians. And as we, as we look at this this morning, called the message, Listen Your Way to True Love. And this is the kind of classic marriage passage in the Bible. This is, this is a segment that I use in every wedding that I do. It dawned on me one day that as you're looking at this, and, and the Lord tells us to submit to one another, in love, one of the ways that you do that, probably the most important way that paves the way for everything else, is by listening. If I'm not listening to you, how can I meet your needs? And as, as you think about our, our life, you know, most of us have this sort of inner person who is, is always feeling whatever we're feeling. Most of us live our lives in a way that's self-centered. I, I think that when you don't know the Lord, you live in your life in a way that I would have to call selfish. You know, the whole idea of sin. I'm doing my thing. God can do his. I'm leaving him alone. It's all about me. But I think as we come to the Lord, we begin to open up a little bit. But we still are, and, and not in a negative sense so much, just in a more neutral sense, we're centered on ourself. You know, that we see everything and the whole world as it relates to me. We don't see the world as I relate to it. 
You know, it's all about me. It's all still centered on me. And, and so, you know, most of us, our, our conversation is mostly about ourselves. You get in a group of four or five people and somebody's been sick or somebody had an injury and you ask how you doing and immediately everybody's going to jump in and tell you about how they cut their foot in the third grade. You know, everybody wants to talk about all their medical woes and whatever. You know, we just go on and on and on and on about ourselves. I was, I was with a, a group of pastors on Friday and, and uh, we're getting ready to bring a guy out to teach the pastors on how to coach others. And the whole idea is, is that most of the people that you're encountering have a relationship with God and in that relationship the Holy Spirit is already revealing to them the things that they need to do next. Next steps are there. And too often we as as pastors or as as leaders are preaching at people. Well you ought to do this and you ought to do this and you ought to do that. And the, and the whole philosophy here is you need to just ask these people what in the world is God saying and, and start to listen to them and draw them out and get them to talk. And, and one of the guys raised his hand and he said, I sat through this before and it's, it's radically transformed my life. He says, my whole idea of a conversation has always been to just politely wait until you get done talking so I can tell you what is the real truth. And he said that, that, that this thing changed him. And, and, I, and I think about it in our, our relationships, you know. It, dating is kind of a fraudulent thing, you know. You, you get hooked up with somebody and you put on your very best behavior until you snag them. And then you revert back to being your old self. And one of the things that happens is, is that we get into this relationship and we, do, we get genuinely interested in this other person. And so we become very good listeners and we, you know, we sit across the table by candlelight looking into their eyes and, and wanting to know all about them and wanting to know their history and what's their favorite this and what's their favorite that. Oh, that's my favorite too, you know, and that whole deal. Oh, it must be God. Yeah. That's one of the things that gets us in trouble because I think it's our choice and we need to live up to the choice that we made. That's God when we start to do that. And, and, and so you, you become a listener for a certain period of time. And then the day that you, you're sure that you bagged them, then you go back to your own self and you're, you know, you're just whining about everything. And, and, and at some point in life, this is why you see so many midlife divorces, people just get tired of that. They just get tired of listening to the other person be all about them all the time. And, and, it, and, and if we look in the scripture, that's a reason for that. It's exactly the opposite of what the Lord has laid out as, as what life ought to be when we're living together in a marriage. The first uh, part of this I called the key to everything, and it's in verse 21. It's exactly the passage that we went through last week and, and went through it in quite a lot of detail, but I just want to underscore it because this is the key to everything. It says in, in this translation of the Bible, and further you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another translation says, you submit to one another in love out of reverence for Christ. But love is all about mutual submission, mutual surrender. Can I use the word compromise? A lot of Christians hate that word. Love is really all about, I'm willing to give up something for you. You're willing to give up something for me. 
I think if you have a healthy understanding of marriage, you have a godly understanding of marriage, you ought to value your marriage more than you value your spouse. I say that again. You ought to value your marriage more than you value your spouse. Why is that? Well, two reasons. One is God says he hates divorce. You know, I so often I'm talking to people that are justifying a divorce. You know, I, 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 I can't justify divorce outside of adultery. You know, the, the, I don't believe that a person should live under physical abuse. I believe separation is in order, but I think counseling is in order. I think you need to work your way through these things. I know there's situations where that gets so far out of hand, there's no hope. But basically, God values marriage. And we're supposed to, in reverence for Christ, value marriage. I think you need to value your marriage more than you value your spouse. Now, here's the second reason I say that. It comes from experience. There's times I don't like my wife very much. But I stay married. Now... All of you look so guilty right now. You know, I say that, and it's like, he said that, and everybody goes. My pastor, I'm sorry, you're so troubled. I, I, I don't even relate to that. <laughs> There's nothing like that in me. We're all like that. We all hit a, you know, a bumpy spot. We all get a flat tire in our, in our love life every so often. And, and there comes a time that what you need to do is know that I chose this. She chose this. We're in this together. We committed to God. And I value this thing. And I'm going to make it kick. And that'll carry you two days more down the road to where you fall in love again. Or some of us have hit a flat tire and we've been that way for a year and a half or three years. But if you will put yourself in a position of reverence in the Lord in your marriage, he will restore love to your life. This is what this is all about. Well, it says that you will do this out of reverence for Christ. I, I tend to be a kind of a I, I, I don't I don't know. Some people say I'm soft spoken. I, I know that I don't talk loud. I'm not one of these preachers who gets up and does that, you know. But I I I also have a way of just sort of uh, softening the edges. You know, I I I've, uh, if if I want to confront somebody, I'll come up and get them by the hand, shake their hand, and then not let go and look them in the eye, and and I can call people some pretty brutal names just to get their attention. And smile while I say it, and 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 come off being liked in the midst of it. You know, there's a there's a guy around here named named Blaine Sato, and uh, everybody calls him Sumo for very obvious reasons. And uh, when he was in high school, he was the bad boy of Kaneohe. He told me there were only two people that he was ever fearful of. One is my next door neighbor who was the lieutenant at the police department. And, and he's a big guy and he didn't mind roughing you up. And the other is Guy Capelliella, who's the pastor of Hope Chapel Olamana. And Sumo is a pastor in California today. But uh, he, he, one time he, he was in, in college in California. And somebody told me about this later. And he stood up and and started crying, saying how much he used to love to get scoldings by Ralph because you come out feeling so good after. Um, 
you, you know, you can come at things and kind of say them gently, but, but this, this scripture, this verse, is something that doesn't deserve to be said gently. Paul is really trying to jam us. He's trying to get our attention. It doesn't say, and further, you'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> he says, and further, you will submit to one another, and you do it out of reverence for Christ. I mean, the issue is lordship. Is Jesus the Lord of your life, or is he not? Is Jesus the master? Have you come to the place where you let God be God in your life, or have you not? Because we're dealing with real hardcore stuff here. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, describes sin. Uses the word iniquity in some Bibles. But it says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each wandered off to do our own thing. And God laid on him the sin or the guilt of us all. So the sin is the act of wandering away from God. The sin is the act of not treating the Lord with the reverence that's due him. We come to the Lord by faith and we engage the Lord and we allow him, most of us, to be our savior. To be our, the word means to be our rescuer, to get me out of trouble. But we have a hard time going that extra mile that says, you're, you're the boss, you're the Lord. Now, what I want you to understand is that, that, that the concept of lordship is directly tied to faith. If you're struggling and you're going, I don't have much faith in my life, then I want you to re-examine. Do you have a, a bold, rash disregard for everything kind of commitment to the Lord? Because if you're in a place where you're willing to say, he's the boss, that's it, over and done, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever happens, it's his book I'm a character in, and I'm going to live out what he has for my life. He's the Lord. Then you have faith, and you have entered into faith. Does that make sense to you? It's faith is the opposite of unbelief. I am believing in him that he's going to make it work so well and I'm committing everything to him and I'm not counting the cost. Well, when you come to that point in the Lord, you're going to start to see prayers getting answered in ways you never dreamt of before. And it's this reverence for Christ that's the key to everything here. I will submit to my wife's needs. She will submit to my leadership, to my needs, because she loves Jesus more than she loves me. I'll submit to her because I love Jesus more than I love her. I'll submit to this marriage and stay in it because I'm submitted to the Lord and I'm willing to believe that things may look very bleak right now, but if I will live out commitment to the Lord, he's going to turn this into something really good. And I'm going to give him a shot at it. And I'm going, to, I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to put myself in a jeopardy position, if I must, to trust the Lord. Is that making sense to you? Because if we don't have that, we really don't have much of anything. So Paul is not being gentle and kind here. He's ramming it down our throats. And it deserves to be rammed down our throats in this case. Well, the next part of this, I call listen to his machismo. In verse uh, 22, it talks about wives and how they offer submission to their husbands, and it's different than how a wife offers submission to his wife. 
It says, you wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now that's a pretty heavy call. You learn to trust the Lord. I just told you, you know, go all out in trusting the Lord. Now you're going to trust your husband in the same way. Uh, for the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. The word savior is pretty important here because how it relates to a man in a marriage. And then it says, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. The word submit does not mean to be walked on like a doormat. It means to voluntarily be sensitive to what's going on and yield to that other person. And when it asks a wife to be submissive to her husband as to the Lord, I always go over this scripture in marriages and I always remind them that God is asking you as a woman to trust in this man the same way that you've learned to trust in the Lord. But I also remind them they're not marrying Jesus. And that this guy is going to mess up and he's going to blow it. And there's going to be times he's going to fail in his attempt to be the Savior. And that that's when the most he needs to know that this woman believes in him. That this woman has confidence in him. That she, she's willing to, to stick it out with him in spite of his failures. Ladies, I have news for you. When your husband is acting angry, when he's throwing stuff around, when he's breaking stuff, when he's, when he's acting like a wild bull, when he's cussing, what he's really trying to tell you is that he's feeling like a scared little boy and he's lost control. One of the biggest issues in our life is the issue of self-control because self-control really is something that needs to operate under the Lord's control. But when we get the Lord out of the equation, remember I told you Lordship and faith go hand in hand? When I put the Lord off to the side and I'm running the show, now I'm responsible. And when things start to go sideways on me, I start freaking out. Are any of you guys, do you relate to this? And when we start freaking out, we learned when we were in the second grade that you got to act tough. Because if you don't act tough, somebody will take advantage of you. Or somebody will start pushing you around. And so you got to put this boilerplate up there. And, and so, so you start to to act tough. And it's one thing when we act tough around a bunch of other guys. It's another thing when we act tough around our wife who's trying to be there to support us. But what we're really saying when we're doing this is we're saying I'm scared. That's really what it comes down to. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm panicking. And so my way of handling panic is to... to, to and wives... What, or girlfriends, what you need to know is a guy doesn't need a fight at that time. What he really needs is somebody to listen to him. Somebody to creatively, carefully listen and draw him out and find out where the, where the problem is and where the fear is. And then basically to say, here's submission. I'll walk through the fire with you. If it all goes to hell in a handbasket, that's fine. I'll still be beside you. And that's the thing that's going to restore the guy to where he needs to be at that point. Every man in a man-woman relationship has a need to know that he's a protector, he's a provider, he's a rescuer, he's a leader. He needs to act like Jesus in a sense. He needs to be a savior. 
And when he knows he's failing, then he starts flailing out and going after stuff. And, and, and what he needs from you, the kind of submission is to hear him out, to listen to him, to, to dig out that little boy inside and not to try to be mommy to him because that just ticks us off real good. I don't need another mother. I already have one. Thank you. What he needs is a friend. What he needs is a friend. I mean, marriage is really about friendship, ultimately. It's about friendship. Sex gets thrown in, but it's about friendship. This good? Let's look at the next part here. I call this listen to her heart. And you'll notice that the Lord says about three times as much to men about their relationship with women as he does to women about their relationship with men. Verse 25, it says, You husbands must love your wives in the same way that Christ showed the church, or Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave his life up for her. You know, a lot of men like to use the word submission on their wife. I don't know how you can get away from the word submission when it says give up your life for her. It's not that you die for her. That would be easy. That's a one-day event. It's that is that you compliment her cooking even when it doesn't measure up to your mom's, you know? Or that you, you, you there, there are things that she has that are needs in her life and you respond to her needs. You do things her way. My wife likes to watch TV. I could live without the thing. I spend time watching TV because I love my wife. There are things that I like to do that she compromises and she does it because of me, because of my idiosyncrasies, because of the goofy things that I like to do. The way we spend money largely is my wife yielding to me. And I'm very aware of that. And so there's this give and take. And so the Lord is calling us as men, you submit to the needs of your wife and you give in. You do things differently than you would do by yourself. You make the compromise out of reverence for Christ. And you're going to find happiness. Well, it goes on and says that Jesus did, the, it says, he gave his life for her, verse 26, that the reason is to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one ever hates his body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, his body, and we are his body. It says that Jesus laid his life down for his bride, the church, so he could present her back to himself as a bride in all of her glory without a spot or wrinkle or any of that. And in marriages, I always like to remind the guy that the, that the woman is going to become something in the future that she's not today. And she's going to become something beautiful if she grows into the sunshine and nurture of your love. She's going to become something less than beautiful if she doesn't receive that love. And you're the one that lives with her. So you're the one that gets to enjoy living with a woman in all of her glory. Or you're the one that lives with somebody who's been torn down and who is much less of a person than she started out to be. And the choice is up to you. Does this make sense? And when it talks about Jesus 
presenting the church back to himself as a bride in all of her glory and, and then us as men having this responsibility in our relationship with our wives. Uh, I, I want to remind you something. I, I love my wife dearly. To me, she's more beautiful than she ever was. I really mean that. But I want you to know she's not 22 years old and she's never going to be that again. Or grandparents. So one of the things that we don't do is hold our wives to being what they were when we met them or hold them to being what we see in somebody in the movies or something. You let them be who they are. And you nurture and you care and you invest. And I'm here to tell you that the more you invest in anything, the more you love that thing that you invested in. If it's your boat, if it's your car, if it's a hobby, the more you invest in it, the more you enjoy it, the more you appreciate it, the more you value it. The more you invest in your wife, the more you're going to appreciate and you're going to value her. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 